0: Welcome everybody to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Mike, joined by my co-host Emily. Hello. Welcome back, Emily. Thank you. How was vacation? So wonderful. Good. Excellent. Got the whole family away for a little while. Yes. Vacations are great. It is great, and I know you went somewhere warm and there was sunshine. And, yes. And 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 all sorts of fun stuff. It was wonderful. Good. And uh, I'm I, Sally, my wife, filled in last yeah. week. So Sally dropped um, Mrs. Mike Drop or yes. whatever what yes. to say what was there, and that was she enjoyed that, but she said to me this morning, she's like, I'm glad Emily's back. That's good. (laughs) She did a wonderful job. Get back on cue. So Emily, please introduce our wonderful panel of pastors today. We are blessed.
1: Yes, we are. We have back with us both pastors Murph Hudson and Scott Raines. Hi, guys. Hello,
0: Emily. Great to be here. Great to have you. Hey, Murph is at Hope Grimes. Uh, Scott is up at Hope Ankeny, two of uh, Hope's many campuses uh, around uh, central Iowa. So, you know what? I was, we we're going to chit-chat about all that, but let's let's get in. We've got some good stuff here to cover. Absolutely. We're reading the whole Holy Bible in a year. If you're new to this podcast, uh, you can find all those uh, signed readings uh, for the day on the Lutheran Church of Hope website. Uh, you can go to LutheranChurchOfHope.org and go from there, or HopeWDM.org. Uh, you can also pick them up at any of our churches, our locations physically. Uh, we've got them there every Sunday mm-hmm. on little handy bookmarks that look like this. Uh, so, get into it and saturday nights yeah thank you very much in ankeny and west des moines we have saturday services as well find the service that works for you the location that's closest to you uh we're one church in in many many locations uh but get into the bible we want you to read it learn it and live it and this podcast is produced for the sake of helping you learn it as you read it we assume you're reading it if you're not we invite you to do that and then uh, we're going to try to help you uh make some sense of, of some of these passages, and we, we have some very inspiring passages in our readings from Acts chapter 1 to 7, and from First Chronicles 1 to 15, and then we've got some kind of confusing passages, some, some vague stuff, some stuff that people are asking about, so we take the questions we're hearing every week from you in doing your readings, and we compile those and put them together with the kinds of things that, that people are wondering about, so here we go. Um, let's call on Ted Lasso to help us out. Mm-hmm.
2: Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions?
3: Oh yeah, no, should've
1: saw that coming. Okay, first question about the Old Testament reading. What's the point of 1st Chronicles and how did the Prayer of Jabez, the title of a best-selling book, end up on this detailed ancestry list? And I will add, one of our writings, put it like this: First-time Bible reader and I'm lost in 1st Chronicles. It's hard to follow what's important to take. Great question.
3: I'll, I'll jump in on that one. I, I think sometimes we pastors, religious leaders, uh, do a disservice to the people in the congregation when we invite them to read Scripture, and and mm-hmm. sometimes we will sort of say, you know, it's going to be the best thing ever for you. Mm-hmm. It, uh, ev- every time you open the Bible, you'll encounter God speaking to you in life-changing ways, and then we read <laughs> the genealogical list at the beginning of 1 Chronicles. We're like, what? Mm-hmm. So... uh w- if that's your experience, that's our experience sometimes too. Yeah. And then the fun part is then digging in and and what are the things that people have learned over the time uh, of of the centuries of digging into God's word that will help us that we can benefit from. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the most helpful things, one of uh, my seminary profs said to me one time, anytime you're reading through scriptures and you come across something that at first read you're just like, I don't understand this. What? Mm-hmm. What am I? Often there's something going on culturally that because we're not part of that culture, it just flies over our our head, we miss it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what's going on with the genealogical list. It was an oral culture, not a written culture. And so there were techniques uh, that they used in oral cultures that we may not be familiar with. As I was studying it this week, I came across something called biblical chiasms, which I don't remember ever hearing before. Maybe, Talk about it, it in seminary it. a lot, yeah. but yeah. So, what's a chiasm? I wrote it down. A literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse order. Example, mm. yeah. when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Mm. Mm. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, or uh, JFK's inaugural speech, ask not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. Mm. Chiasm. So, it's a chiasm. Jesus does this. Uh, the... People weren't made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the structure of the genealogical list in, in First Chronicles ends up being a chiasm. And so when we read about the sons of Israel, you would think then the genealogical list would start with the oldest and go through the youngest, but it doesn't do that. It jumps all the way around. And so mm-hmm. when you put the structure together, part of what you see, it's pointing to uh, mirroring the lines of Judah, out of which David comes and the lines of Benjamin, out of which Saul comes. So there's something important about the the lines of the kings. And then right in the center, there's a ton, of, in chapter 6, there's just a ton of information about Levi and the priesthood. And so uh, what it's doing in the genealogical list is setting up the whole book, which is to point to a better king and a better uh, priesthood that is to come. It's ultimately pointing to the cross. Chiasm, the Greek word X, cross hmm. it's pointing to the cross, it's pointing to Jesus.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Absolutely.
2: I also, uh, one of the things that fascinates me about Chronicles is in our Bible, in the Christian uh, sort of ordering of the Bible, it finds its way right after uh, Samuel and Kings. But in the uh, Jewish scriptures, it actually is at the end. It's pointing to this hope that there is. So it's very easy for us, I think, as Christians to come in and say, well, I just read Samuel and I just read Kings, and now it seems like we're getting the same thing again but what we're actually getting is a theological look like what is what are we going to learn about God what are we going to learn about his story through the history of people uh, of his people through their exile, through their uh, their time all the way from the beginning up and through coming back from exile, and now what is their hope for the future? So this this story actually ends on a note of hope and um, more than just being a book of history. In fact, the chronicler, whoever he is, is, uh, is actually known as the uh, first Old Testament theologian. And so there's this idea of really trying to understand what God is trying to say and understand who God is and our place in that story. Uh, in God's story, so.
0: I think that's I think that's just really important to point out. Thanks for doing that, Murph and Scott. The chiasm conversation is important too because it helps us make sense of of the weirdness what what appears to be the weirdness. And you said it you know straight off the top that not everything we're going to read in Scripture is going to be exciting. Not everything we, we read is going to just blow our our socks off the first time we read it, and that's a lot of it will. So I don't I don't mean to minimize that at all. It is mm-hmm. the best thing you could ever do. I, I like the way you phrased it. The first time we read it, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. going to be so take this for example. So so, so we start by saying, okay, at first read, this doesn't seem very exciting, and I don't know if it ever gets really exciting to read the first several chapters, which are chronicles. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a chronicling of these this genealogy, uh, and it goes in kind of a weird order. But but then you start to realize because we don't want to just read it, we want to learn it so that we can live it. Then you realize, oh, in the Jewish scriptures, as you said, Murph, this was the last book of the Bible. He's a theologian, the author. He's summarizing everything you've read, uh, the highlights of it. From, in, the first verse is Adam. You know, let's start in the yeah. Garden of Eden, and the end of it, at the end of Second Chronicles, is this, this unfinished kind of line where it's just sort of a dot, 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 to be continued. And it's this, it's this hope. Of a messianic king of a, of a David like Savior and and Chronicles is also going to make it clear along the way that isn't David and so wow plot twist okay mm-hmm. so it isn't it, by looking back First and Second Chronicles is going to point us forward into a very hope filled future while that may not be like blow you away inspiring it is pretty cool yes you know w- when you think about it and it has a very important purpose and
3: culturally, they were in a place of hopelessness. Yeah. And so, I think sometimes we Especially have to Especially in the exile. Yeah. yeah. What, what are we looking forward to even in our own generation and we're waiting for that? Do Do we have a hope-filled future because of the promise yeah. of the Messiah?
0: And what going through all this history reminds us of is God has been faithful in the past. He delivered his people from slavery. In Egypt, he delivered his people from exile to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, north and south, and he's going to do it again. He's mm-hmm. going to deliver us as New Testament people. He's going to deliver the world and all who put their faith in Christ, this, this new messianic king, this new messiah who's going to come to not just conquer nations and you know uh, threats that are national threats, but to conquer enemies we can't defeat, sin, death, the devil, so First and Second Chronicles is really transitioning between everything we've read so far, especially as you said, Murph. First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, the 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 history of Israel, and it's going to set the table for the stuff we've read through the Gospels, the first part of this year. Now we're getting into in the Book of Acts, and
2: I think we can look at this as a both and approach. Yes, it's history, but it's also encouragement. And I think again, it's just fun how these things line up. Because it's easy to also look at the book of Acts, not to jump too far forward here, but to look at the book of Acts as just a history book. And it's way more than that, mm-hmm. way more about the encouragement and the hope and, and understanding God's story uh, than just a retelling of things that have happened.
0: One last thing about it, because part of the question was Jabez and mm-hmm. who's that? And some mm-hmm. people who are listening will know that there's a best-selling book called The Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson, I think it was. And it was, it kind of took the whole christian church by storm Mm -hmm. you know for a few years i think we did a whole sermon series on it here it's nestled in the list of the of the of the genealogy first chronicles chapter four starts in verse nine there's a man named jabez uh, or some people say jabez you know tomato tomato Mm -hmm. let's call the whole thing off it's ancient hebrew nobody knows for sure uh was more honorable than any of his brothers his mother named him jabez because his birth had been so painful okay Right, whatever, and then all of a sudden twist. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And then here's the best part. And God granted him his request. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He expanded his territory. He blessed him, which is just, you talk about the theme of hope that comes yeah. through Chronicles first and second, and that certainly is sort of just amplified here in these few verses about Jabez. Even then, even in times of darkness and suffering, God's hearing prayers, God's answering prayers, God's blessing his people. Mm, that's Absolutely. really good.
1: Now, switching gears to the book of Acts. What is Acts about? Who wrote it? And how does the first chapter of Acts serve as an important transition from the Gospels to what comes next?
2: Absolutely. So, um, the Book of Acts was written again by Luke, the same person who wrote the the Gospel of Luke, and this is like part two of this series there's it 's almost as even as it starts it 's like and now here 's some more things that I want to tell you, so it, it like almost as if it was one thing together, but he 's writing this sequel uh, to his gospel, and now he 's really wanting you to understand. What happened? How did the church come to be? How mm-hmm. How did the, uh, the whole thing just explode? What happened when Jesus ascends? And now uh, we're left kind of stuck behind and going, all right, what do we do? And from that, we get some amazing, miraculous things that happen, which allowed the church to just explode. But we also start to see what that means going forward, and it and it brings us even up into the 21st century. What the church looks like today somewhat is modeled on what it looked like in Acts. There's been some things that changed just because of context, but from that, and we uh, we still believe in a lot of the things that are happening. in Acts. That's why God's word is a living word.
0: We're we're mm-hmm. excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Acts is uh, as you said. It's Luke Continued. Yeah. You know, I, I can't help but just try some sort of little pun. You know, you, you, uh, the force is strong with that one, Luke. You know, use the force. <laughs> he continues to use the force, and the force is the Holy Spirit. It's called Acts of the Apostles in its original title, but it could just as easily be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit shows up early and frequently and often throughout the book of Acts. Um, And so, yes, it is the Acts of the Apostles. It's what happens through Peter and the other disciples who become apostles. Disciple means student. Apostle means those who are sent out in the original Greek. So, either way is fine, however we label them. But the Holy Spirit is working through Peter, and then we kind of turn the page to Saul, uh, and then he's working through Saul. You could also divide Acts just as you're, if if it's helpful for you as you read through it over the next uh, week or two. Um, doing these whole holy Bible readings, to think of it in three parts. Actually, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which becomes this theme verse for the whole book. Um, But you will receive power, Jesus says, this is Acts 1, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, chapters 1 to 7 is in Jerusalem. Uh, Chapters 8 to 12 is in Judea. Chapters 13 to 28 in Acts is to the ends of the earth. So that verse really kind of is topic sentence, you know, going back to fourth grade English class, right? Here's the topic sentence at the top of the the book. As you read through, you are going to cover all this ground and you're going to see a description, not always a prescription. I think that's important Mm -hmm. to note. Just because it says this is what the church did in the book of Acts doesn't mean that that's a prescription for how we're supposed to do it today. Although there are some transferable principles for yeah. sure, and we'll mm-hmm. get on that I- into that as we go. but it's a beautiful description of what a healthy church looked like, and mm-hmm. also a conflicted church at times, and also a church that had challenges and struggles, was persecuted, uh, had its leaders imprisoned, threatened, uh, you know martyred, killed, all sorts of things. And so it's a really, it is an exciting book yeah. actually.
3: Mm-hmm. I was listening as I was driving down from Ankeny and when I got. Uh, when as i heard verse 8 you will receive power in my mind i was i don't remember who i heard talk about uh left-handed power and right-handed power mm. and right-handed power is like a hammer driving a nail it's what we typically think of when we think of power uh left-handed power is like if if my my mom one of the ways she showed us her love for us was by cooking or baking mm. and when you could smell mm. the food that she was preparing the meal that she was preparing there there was a power to that that drew you mm-hmm. toward that room. So smells is kind of this left-handed power. And we see Jesus using both types of power mm-hmm. in powerful ways. And, and then we see it throughout the Gospels as well. This, uh, a fragrant offering is sometimes what the church is called.
0: So. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. So a lot of times I think Christians are tempted to think, I know I have been in my life, well, it's that left-handed power. It's the power of love. It's the, it's the power of that. that. That's really what Christianity is all about. And it certainly is. And it is by far, beginning, middle, and end, the more powerful force. Love is the thing that saves us. Love is the thing that you know, takes Jesus to the cross and, and the power of the resurrection. That, that's love. But there's also a right-handed power, especially as we read through the Gospels and Acts, which is a, which is a challenging reminder, I think, for us. That we have a power we don't often tap into as Christians, healing happens, miracles yes. happen. Uh, Holy Spirit, it, the Holy Spirit changes absolutely, radically transforms people's lives. Yes, through love, through left-handed power, through the smells of, of, of you know of, of grandma baking and the love that emanates out of that, but also sometimes by taking somebody who is not doing well and healing that person physically, which we'll get into as we go. And that leads into kind of the power chapter of Acts.
1: Yes. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And does the Holy Spirit still fill believers like that today?
0: This is actually kind of more controversial than a lot of people think Mm -hmm. in the church today. There is a debate that goes on to say, well, the Holy Spirit, there's a group of Christians who will say the Holy Spirit is, is relegated to a particular time and place. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, any kind, of, any kind of thing that we would call Pentecostal today or charismatic today, doesn't happen. Miracles don't happen anymore. That was Bible times, and, and we just need to put a lid on that and say that was a season, that was an era, that was a dispensation, that was a whatever, even though the word dispensation appears nowhere in the Bible, never mind that. Uh, but, but we're going to neatly try to control God and categorize these things and put God in a box. Obviously, that's not where we are. (laughs) uh, You can go too far the other way, and you can start to use um, spiritual gifts and being filled with the Holy Spirit as a litmus test to see who's really in and who's really out with God. Um, That's dangerous, too. There's a dark side to that, uh, to say, well, you're not really as good of a Christian as I am because I have these spiritual gifts, or I speak in tongues and you don't, or you do and I don't, or whatever it might be. Nonsense. In fact, Paul will get into that in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll we'll wait for that for a few weeks till we get there. But for now, here's the story of the birth of the church, Uh, and it's big. There's fire, there's wind, which we know all the way back into Old Testament times is 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 very definitively saying God is here. <laughs> when mm-hmm. fire shows up, when wind shows up, pillars of fire, uh, wind uh, that, that moves things, the, the breath of God, the Ruach in the yeah. Hebrew is the breath or the wind of God that creates life out of dust. Um, so we're talking about a serious sort of right-handed power here, to use your language, uh, Scott, from the previous question. And when that happens, extraordinary, supernatural things start to happen. Uh, people start speaking in languages they don't know, and then even maybe more remarkably, everybody can understand it. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like if I started speaking in Chinese, which I don't know, mm-hmm. and neither none of you know it, but you all also understood every word I was saying. It's supernatural. It is a Holy Spirit. It is, it is ex- extraordinary. It's only something God can do. Um, so the Holy Spirit is still doing that. And I'm going to turn it over to you guys to take it from there. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to add in some things as we go. But get to the question now. So I've tried to set the table. How, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And how does the Holy Spirit still do that for us today? Because we believe he does.
2: Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is the presence of God being with us. If you go all the way back to Good Friday, right, we have the the ripping of the veil after Jesus dies on the cross, and there was this, uh, you know, belief that God's presence could only reside in this most holy of holy place, and so there was this one spot where God would be, but God has already said in other places, you know, the earth is my footstool, the, the heavens are my kingdom, I, I am much bigger than you're trying to make me in this box. Well, Jesus says that when I leave, you want me to leave because I'm going to send the advocate. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you're actually receiving the presence of God with you. So, it's not that you have to go somewhere to be with the presence of God. You always have the presence of God with you. It's dwelling inside of you. You are a vessel for that. And when we choose to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, um, He's a great guide for us and a great advocate for our lives. Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to have the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's kind of an important thing, uh, not so that we can say we have these gifts and things like that, but so that we have the presence of God. I grew up going to a Quaker church, mm-hmm. and the, the
3: technical name for that Christian denomination is the Religious Society of Friends. Mm-hmm. And then they got uh, teased. Because they were so spirit-filled, mm. they were called Quakers. Mm. And I—I I don't remember ever quaking in my seat at church. The, a couple of times in Axis, is the whole room shook. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the word resonate. So when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, there's this. Uh, in music, I think if you take a tuning fork mm-hmm. and you—you—I don't know—you hit it, and so it's vibrating that sound, and you put it close to a stringed instrument, those strings will start. Mm-hmm. So the, the the resonance of that tuning fork will make music or resonance with the another instrument. And I think God's Spirit does that inside. A, God's Spirit mm-hmm. confirms with my spirit mm-hmm. that I'm a child of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's... The Spirit does these supernatural, powerful things, and one of the most supernatural, powerful things the Holy Spirit does is let us know that God loves
0: us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with God's love, Mm -hmm. Paul will write. "Yeah, To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be influenced. So we get in tune, to use that tuning fork analogy. It means we're influenced by God. So if you ask um, any group of high school students today, what do you want to be when you grow up? The number one answer is, I want to be an influencer. Uh, I want to be, you know, probably on t- YouTube or TikTok or somewhere. I, I want to influence. And I'm, I'm not going to want to take us off on a tangent and comment about the social aspects of all that or so- sociological aspects of it. But I find that fascinating. Really being filled with the Holy Spirit gets down to who influences you. And, and we do have a role in that. How open are we into getting in tune with the Holy Spirit, into letting the Holy Spirit influence our decisions? How much of our lives are um, self-centered or self-absorbed pursuits of what I want for me mm-hmm. or for the my people, whoever I determine my people are, and how much of it is I'm surrendered to God and in tune with what God wants? Because as much as we'd like to, merge those things all together? And sometimes we can. Sometimes they're certainly in sync. What, what God wants for me and for my loved ones is what I want for me and my loved ones. But if we're going to be confessionally honest, a lot of times it isn't in sync. And so, then that comes down to the question, who fills you up? Who's your influencer? Who, who do you allow to, to be the one to call the shots for you? Uh, is Jesus just Savior for you or is he also Lord? The, the early Christian church here in Acts 2, it says in addition to the wind, the fire, um, the, the speaking in other tongues and languages, in verse 4 it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all filled. They're all influenced. They're, they're all overwhelmed. Well, what does that mean biblically? We'll find out later in the New Testament. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithful, faithfulness, self-control. It's that stuff. Mm-hmm. When we have more love, when we have more joy, when we have more peace, we're in tune mm-hmm with God. When we, have, when we have the wisdom of the world telling us, you don't have to love those people, they, they've done you wrong, you, you're done mm-hmm. with them. We've, we're no longer filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with us, yeah. or, or we're filled with the language of the world. And so there's new languages, there's new wind, there's new fire, and it's the birth of the church. It's inspiring us to move and to go and to start something completely new. I find that really fascinating. I, I find that exciting. One other thing I think is really important to note, getting back to the whole thing of, well, how do you know you're filled by the Holy Spirit then? It, you, do, you have to speak in tongues. No, you do not. Bible makes that clear. Ephesians 3, uh, Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk with wine, but get drunk with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, which one influences you? But Ephesians 3 says, Here's what it means to have the power of God's Spirit in you. It means to know that you know that God's love for you is high and wide and deep. That God's love for you knows no bounds. Ultimately, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to have an experience of God's love. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to get in tune. Now you're going to be influenced. If I just read about God, how influential is that? I mean, I'll learn things. I'll know things. That's good. That's, that's really good. It's essential. But, but being in a relationship with God... Knowing that there is a God, but more than just knowing and believing there's a God, knowing this God loves me and loves you and loves everybody who's tuning in right now, that's absolutely transformational. That's, that's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And when we really are, we won't be the same. Now we're living for something else. We're on a new trajectory. We're, we're, we're going down a different trail. And the scenery is way better. It's harder. The trail's harder, <laughs> but the scenery is so much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so worth the journey.
1: Fun segue here, but we have a write-in. Speaking of getting drunk on the spirit, our write-in references the end of ch- or the middle of chapter I'm, two. I'm just
0: really kind of <laughs> curious where this question's going. I like everything about it.
1: Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on this group of believers it says is there significance to new wine in acts 2 verse 13 which is in some translations other translations say they're just drunk that's all that's happening basically
0: yeah it's kind of a funny line uh on some ways because the the people see that something big's going on amongst the believers Uh, who are gathered there in Jerusalem. And they start, some of them are blown away, like, wow, this is cool. Others, of course, as usual, are like, ah, no, this is nonsense. And some of them even say, oh, they're just drunk. Mm -hmm. And Peter begins his sermon by saying, it's only nine in the morning. Uh, We're not drunk. I mean, that's We we don't start drinking. I I don't want to push that too far because I don't want to suggest that Peter was drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that he used the 9 a.m. card as the reason why they weren't some translations yes English translations talk about it as a new wine I think they might be pushing it a little bit uh, to try to connect the dots between Jesus saying new wine old wine skins that kind of thing it's a good question because it shows somebody's paying very careful attention to the details of scripture Mm -hmm. but um, I don't know if you guys have anything else on that not really. doesn't
1: look like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. What does Luke's description of the new community of believers in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, reveal about how a healthy church functions?
3: It was interesting to me reading through chapter 2 in its entirety. When When Peter begins preaching, he's almost entirely focused on the resurrection. Jesus died on a cross and now he's alive again. And so repent of your sins and and turn to God. Uh, He doesn't really reference, remember all the cool teachings that Jesus did about how to live a moral life, how to love one another? He doesn't really talk about it. He just talks about the resurrection. I had officiated two funerals last week. And one of the things I like to talk about in funerals is when Jesus talks about eternity or eternal life, he's talking about both a quality of life and a quantity of life. So, it's a quantity of life, and and that's really Mm -hmm. important at a a funeral, so that you know your loved one has eternal life in heaven with God, with Jesus. Uh, But it's also important to talk to the people who are still living about the quality of life that's offered to us. And part of what I see happening in the uh, new community at the end of chapter two is now, here's how discipleship, following Jesus, leads us into that kind of a... Uh, eternal life now on this earth uh, through devotion to the apostles' teaching, what mm-hmm. they learned directly from Jesus, uh, sharing with one another, praying together mm-hmm. on a regular basis, experiencing uh, the goodwill of the community. That's one of the things that stands out to me. Yeah, uh, Everyone around them, even if they weren't part of the
2: church, they were glad the church was there.
1: Mm.
2: Absolutely. That's good. I think, too, uh, just like you talked about, we're seeing this teaching and preaching, we're seeing a fellowship, we're seeing a sharing, praying. Um, What we're seeing is people coming together, being filled up through learning together, through growing together. They are uh, going out and serving each other. Um, And so we're, we're seeing this kind of pattern of we are Gathering, we are uh, growing together. We are grouping up in different ways. We're going into people's homes, right? We are doing things um, like having giving, giving of our time, giving of our resources, uh, but we're spending time in prayers, time in the scriptures. So we're spending this daily quiet time together. So. We go back to this idea of we are you know, gathering, grouping, we're giving, we're uh, growing, and we're having this daily quiet time. And this is something that the church is still um, trying to help people understand today. So, when we talk about things that are Prescriptive versus descriptive coming out of Acts. There's mm-hmm. there's some things that we're not going to carry over uh, today. But having that time to gather together, having that time to grow together, having a daily quiet time with God, uh, giving to each other, uh, you know, those are things that, that do matter, and we mm-hmm. want to continue doing that. Uh, that's that's serving the church well. That's serving
0: the world well in the name of Christ. Yeah. It's a new community. It's a new, it's a new way of doing life. And it gets back to what we were talking about before. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we aren't going to live the way we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean we're going to be perfected. Certainly, we'll read as we read through the rest of Acts that the apostles weren't perfect. They still had conflicts, they still, they still were sinful. Um, their motives weren't always perfect or, or right, and the people in the crowd certainly weren't either. So, it's not to suggest new community means that we become heaven on earth. Right. We, we don't. Too many Christians carry that piety, and I don't know that it's helpful to the cause. The description here is actually much more humble. Uh, there's radical generosity. There's, mm-hmm. there's large group, small group, which I think is also worth really emphasizing here, um, that they met in the temple – um, to be this new temple to yeah. so so there 's the temple that 's there, and now there 's this new temple of this community of believers what it was supposed to be all the way back to Old testament law saying this is what's supposed to be you 're supposed to be radically generous mm-hmm. you 're supposed to be together you 're supposed to be in community you 're supposed to put relationships above selfish pursuits mm-hmm. you 're supposed to overworldly materialistic things. So they're large group together for worship, but then they're breaking into small groups. So people today wrong is like, oh, that whole small group ministry thing's just some new fad program, <laughs> you know, that you came up with. No, actually it's as early as the very first Christian church described in and again described, not prescribed, mm-hmm. but it's a healthy transferable principle. That they broke into small groups, that they had men's groups, you know, what, like we do today. You mentioned men's groups, women's groups, youth groups. It doesn't matter what kind of group, but that you are connected. And so even in a church like Hope that has tens of thousands of people, so I was talking to somebody the other day on the phone, a guy who's been here 25 years, and he said he was talking to somebody in Texas who was asking him about his church. And he said to me, he goes, how do I describe Hope to this guy who's never been here? He goes, it's just, it's just different and he said it's a really big church gobs and gobs of people but it isn't that way for most of us because most of us are in ministry together with other people we serve together we do bible study together we we take classes together we we break bread together we do all the things together we pray together we're there for each other when somebody's in the hospital we 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 celebrate each other's you know big life moments and that's a beautiful picture mm-hmm. that that is that is the body of Christ, the way we're supposed to look. Uh, it's a beautiful description. It is something I think to strive for. Uh, Acts two forty two to forty seven, um, and and it happened. It it's not just people showing up for church. It's people being the church. It's people going out there and doing life together um, as, as this new community. It's it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. when we get it right. Yeah. Amen.
1: What's significant about the healing story at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter three verses one through eleven?
2: Well, I think one of the things that really excites me about that story is, and we sort of mentioned this earlier, miracles still happen. This is not something that just happened when Jesus was walking the earth. Um, he, we get the Holy Spirit, uh, and there is a power that comes with that. Uh, and so, the God's power to heal still happens. Um, we, as pastors, we see it all the time in the church. We see it in this community. We see people get healed. I actually, and I'll keep this short, but I had a, an experience recently where we thought we were, my wife was having appendicitis. We're taking her into the hospital for emergency surgery. And it turns out she had a mass on her ovary that was the size of a baby's head. And so... Really scary for very, everybody. Yeah. Very, scary. Especially you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we get out and we have a, a surgery overnight there. The doctor comes out to me and he's like, hey, what I saw in there, this is cancer. You need to be prepped for chemo. I mean, I'm we're asking for people here at the church, mm-hmm. the, the staff and people in our Grimes campus to pray. And we go see the doctor and he says, you know what? This is not the conversation I thought we were going to be having, mm-hmm. but, it's okay. You don't you you don't have to go through chemo. You're not going to have to do this. And we have a, a pastor on staff here, Pastor Caroline, right, who knew exactly what to pray for uh, by name. A a mass of medically minimal, she knew what to pray medically, for medically yeah. yeah. because she's also a doctor. A mass of uh, minimal malignant tendency, and that's exactly the diagnosis we got. We we're praising God for the miracles right there.
0: Mm-hmm. That was a that was a really cool moment, and i i wanna I wanna just humbly put out there because Mm -hmm. healing happens around hope all all the time is too strong a lot on a regular basis i'm talking about physical medical Mm -hmm. healing happens and i'm not just about healing of marriages healing Mm -hmm. from addictions healing from uh you know unbelief that happens all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) but healing from physical ailments happens on a regular basis around here we have people who pray for that stuff all the time uh, we have folks who are gifted in that, who have the spiritual gift of healing. It happens. So people might say, well, why don't you talk about that all the time then? Because there are things that are actually even better. Mm-hmm. There there are things that are even more important. So in this story uh, of this healing, is it's, we celebrate that. When your wife was healed yeah. mm-hmm. um, You know, last week, another story kind of like that came up. But we're not always going to make that like the lead story no. in every sermon. or We'll talk about it once in a while. We're not going to hide it. Right. But at the same time, uh, w- w- the reason we don't lead with that and say that's the most important thing is because it isn't. Right. The most important thing is eternal. The most important thing lasts forever. And the most important thing is – the thing that stands out for me in this story is at the end of the story, this man who's lame – and sits at the beautiful gate, which I don't think, it's kind of like the new wine we talked Mm -hmm. about before. There's probably something there, you know, new wine, old wine skins. And so, the person who asked that question, it's a great question. There's probably something there. And in the Greek, there is a little hint of that in there. I I Mm -hmm. checked it while we were looking at some other things. But here, it's the man gets up after he's healed. Mm -hmm. Peter and John say, hey, we don't have any any silver or gold. We don't have any money for you. Mm -hmm. We don't have what what the world says, here's, here's how God could prove that he's here for me. I get rich. I get well. I get, I get physically healed. Everything's fine. I, I, we don't have any money to give you, but what we have is Jesus. What we have is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're not filled with the Holy Spirit just to take it in for ourselves. We're filled right. with the Holy Spirit so it will spill over uh, out of us in the way we live, love, care, pray, do life. And so as the Holy Spirit's pouring out of Peter and John, the man is healed, by not by Peter and John by right. Jesus yep. by the power of the spirit of Christ and then my favorite part is he gets up and it says he's walking and leaping and praising God mm. yes. now that's a glimpse of heaven amen mm. my dad had parkinsons he was not walking and leaping mm. he was praising God he wasn't walking and leaping before he died mm. but he is now There is a young man in our church here in West Des Moines who's in a wheelchair. For as long as I ever remember, he and his dad would come here and water our plants, Mm -hmm. like on a regular basis. He'd he'd be rolling through. He'd put a smile on everybody's face on staff. He died uh, recently within the last month. Mm -hmm. I talked to his sister uh, after worship on Saturday, and I remembered this passage. It said he's he's walking and leaping and praising God right now. Mm -hmm. Um, He could barely speak, uh, but he's walking and leaping and praising God right now. Um, over and over and over again, the healing that we see here is a beautiful thing and it's an exciting thing and it's an awesome thing and we praise God for it. But it's the permanent thing is the stuff that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff we celebrate more and that's the stuff we lead with. Amen. Yeah. When,
3: when I hear the word beautiful, I think of Isaiah's prophecy, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm-hmm. And so that healing happens. And then verse 12 says Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. So he he turns from the beautiful gate to become the one who is the beautiful proclaimer of the good
0: Mm -hmm. news. Mm -hmm. And he brings beauty for ashes, the Bible says in the Old Testament that, and like I said before, the body of Christ is a beautiful thing when we get it right. Mm -hmm. And Peter's getting it right here. And this is the same Peter we just talked about last week who was getting it all wrong. Look what God can do with us. The two heroes of Acts are Peter and Paul. Uh, Mary shows up in the band later, but it's Peter and Paul. Sorry, really bad joke. (laughs) But Peter and Paul are here in Acts as the heroes, and both of them were train wrecks. Uh, Peter was in full-blown denial, abandoning Jesus, uh, filled with shame, crushed. Paul, we'll we'll get to next week more, and maybe just a tad at the end of this podcast here. But um, look what God can do with not just sort of semi-lukewarm believers who he lights of flame. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to go from the pilot light to the full flame. So, think of your gas fireplace for those who have those. There's always a little pilot light, I mean, unless you shut it down. So, everybody who believes in Jesus has a little pilot light. But man, when you go in there and break the rules and turn that thing up, you know, uh, underneath and then you hit the switch, you know, it's, it's full flame. That's where the party is. That's where the good stuff is. That's where the beauty is, Scott, that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Peter's making that move. He's going from, here's this healing, but I want to use this healing to point you to something even more permanent, to something even better, to something even more beautiful. I want to point you to something that's going to last forever, and that's the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to point out we do have a healing prayer service here in West Des Moines yes. tonight at 6 p.m., and as someone who's been around that service, they... For sure, have physical healings that happen there. One of the things that I've recognized is sometimes there's healing in people just feeling God's presence or seeing that the community of believers is partnering with them. And that's sometimes a miracle, too.
0: Miracle and beautiful. And there's nothing quite as powerful as the peace of God's presence. Yeah. That there's no substitute for it.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay, how can we make any sense of the extremely difficult-to-read story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11?
0: Yeah, and I see we're out of time. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, have a few minutes. This is, by my read, in the top three of most difficult stories in the mm. New Testament to mm. digest. So, Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, um, they uh, are... Kind of saying they're they're kind of portraying themselves as we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want to be we're filled with the Spirit. You know we got Spirit, yes we do. Uh, how about you? And it, so they're playing the game, which sadly Christians still today play. I'm going to pose as a Christian so that I can help my business, or I'm going to pose as a Christian so I can try to get something from God. Make somebody I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Is that a chiasm? It's close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I want to I want to kind of play God as a means to a bigger end. Well, that's a problem. And it's mm-hmm. such a big problem in this story, Ananias and Sapphira end up dead. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's hard. Mm-hmm. That To our 21st century minds, as we read that, um, that's very difficult to digest. And we jump to, we shouldn't, because that's not what this story is included in Acts for, but we jump to, why would God fill in the blank here? How come it had to be like, what kind of God does this? We're missing the point when we go there. I'm not trying to be God's defense lawyer. God doesn't need a defense lawyer. Here's the thing I'm going to say that's going to be troubling to some of our listeners, but it's true, and so I'm going to tell you. It's just a story that's there, and we got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That this is how it goes sometimes. Now, in our 21st century minds, that doesn't fit, because suffering is the ultimate worst thing ever. It's not necessarily the way God sees it from an eternal perspective, and that's hard, that's hard, and we don't want to hear that lesson, because See, it's original sin to try to control God and and to say, you have to fit into our comfortable boxes. There's nothing comfortable about this story. Um, And the fact of the matter is, you know, the reason they end up dead is they don't give 100% of their income to the church. Mm
1: -hmm. But they claim they did.
0: Right. But a a slimy preacher would use that to say, so, hey, I'm just Mm -hmm. saying, you know, Mm -hmm. when you think about your giving, that's not what's going on here either. So, we can fall into ditches everywhere. That's not the point. But there's, a, there's something else going on here in the context of the rest of Acts and what's happening, especially at the end of chapter four. Scott or Murph, do you want to yeah. jump in on that? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we need
2: to keep in mind for our listeners, reviewers, is that the idea that we even have chapters and stuff like that in Scripture uh, didn't come around until the 1600s. So, uh, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. We need to take the story with the tail end of chapter four, uh, when we hear about Barnabas actually doing this and giving... Uh, the the 100% of what he made. The reason for that is God doesn't just look at the actions. God's looking at the heart. And so Barnabas, who will become a really significant figure throughout the rest of Acts, uh, does this willingly, cheerfully, gives of uh, of this land that he's, he's sold. And then chapter 5 actually starts with the word, but. But, and, and a way, another way you can think of it is behold the ultimate truth. It's this idea that from this, what we just heard, now you're going to hear a completely different thing, and we need to pay attention to it. These uh, two are giving because they want to get the same sort of recognition that uh, Barnabas got for, for turning over the 100% of land. I want that same feeling. I want to be, uh, be recognized. There, it's not about this idea that I want to give to the church. It's this idea I want to give to be seen and God sees the heart. Now, the the fun thing in this is again we're in Chronicles. We have if you go back to Chronicles, we're seeing these like pairings of three kings, kings where somebody was doing something good. Somebody was not doing something good, and we're seeing the contrast between them. And Luke is doing the same thing here. He's showing a contrast between two people, one mm-hmm. whose heart was right and showing what uh, what God wanted, um, not that God needed the money or anything like that, but that they were cheerfully giving and, and doing so because of their relationship with God and someone who wanted to appear to be giving to God but not really do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the, the other uh, detail of that distinction
3: is – Here's a picture of when the church is getting it right, when followers of Jesus are getting it right, when the Holy Spirit is guiding our lives, it it looks like this. But when our sinful nature Uh is guiding our lives, it looks like this. Mike referenced the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, Galatians 5 has this pretty powerful. The whole chapter is just this contrast. Here's what life in the Spirit looks like, and it right. leads to the fruit of the Spirit, contrast to these greed and jealousy mm-hmm. and
0: on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not bad to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not bad to be reminded we can't play fast and loose with what with who God is, and we don't get to invent God. And uh, we need to take seriously what it means to be the church and take mm-hmm. on our responsibility, mm-hmm. too. God does want us to be generous. God does want us to um, be loving. God does want us to be filled with the Spirit and do all those things that Galatians 5 says Mm -hmm. instead of the other side of the ledger. It matters. God cares. God's into those details. This story is a really harsh, difficult, Mm -hmm. challenging reminder of that, and one that doesn't digest real easily. But if if nothing else, it's a reminder we aren't God, and we don't get to call the shots. And it's
3: consistent throughout. There's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to death. And right. we see that over and over. The mm-hmm. end of the section, uh, verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. Makes me think of uh, when all the plagues are coming uh, on, on Egypt, God makes it clear. This is happening, not because I'm trying to upset, but to, so that people will know I am God. Right. And you're right. It's not easy to digest. But it is a reminder there's a God and it's not me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And that great fear at the end that gripped the entire church and mm-hmm. everyone else who heard about it. It's not the worst thing once in a while for us to be humbled. Mm-hmm. Not the worst thing once in a while for us to be reminded uh, of, of these truths that um, it's a good thing we have a God because we know, truth be told, we aren't it. <laughs> we Correct. aren't him.
1: Yeah. Okay, Last question. Why and how did the 12 apostles reorganize the first century church and what's in the story for the 21st century church?
3: So in chapter six, uh, I'll just read the beginning of it. The believers rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. It happens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So a decision Mm -hmm. is made. And uh, the the apostles, they decide, we need to devote ourselves to these types of things, teaching, study, and we need another group of people who are devoted to organizing how do we distribute the food. Uh, at Hope, we say we're better together. yes yeah. And so, this is one of the places where that idea comes from, that it's, it's not that this gift is better than that gift, mm-hmm. it's figure out how God has wired you, live into that more and more all the time, it will... Uh, Light you on fire, mm-hmm. fill you mm-hmm. with the Spirit to be doing the kinds of things that bring great joy to you to do for the sake of uh,
2: the body of Christ. I love yeah. it. Go ahead, I think Mark. also being uh, part of the church, it's not a spectator sport, right? We're not called to just sit on the sideline and watch, um, you know, this paid staff do all the ministry because. Uh, you are the hands and feet of Christ. Whoever you you are listening to us right now watching this, you are the hands and feet of Christ. So we're all called into that same mission. Um, And so we're all called to volunteer for a variety of different things, not for the sake of, again, saying, I volunteered, but for the sake of expanding the kingdom, for the sake of getting the message of Christ out to others. And so we're all called into that same ministry.
0: It reminds me of that phrase that uh, the church too often today looks like a college football game, tens of thousands of people in the stands in desperate need of exercise and 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest. Yes. Uh, we, we are not called to do church for Mm-mm. the fans, uh, for the crowds. We are called to, uh, some of us are called, like the apostles here, to teach and to preach. Others are called to minister and to care mm-hmm. and, and to be a part of the organizational stuff the missions and ministries of the church. Um, when when church gets that wrong, church says, well, we pay somebody to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, that it's hard not to hear that if you're not on a church staff as well. That's your bias. And so, that's your way of not having to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's our way of just being a biblical church. Um, we're plenty busy. <laughs> we're not, <laughs> we're, yeah, I don't think you have any issues with work ethic around this no. table here. It, that's not the point. The point is to to invite you into what it means to be the beautiful body of Christ, what it means to experience. Pastor Merv, who's a mentor of mine, sent me a letter this week. He said he has a friend of his who's a great theologian who's pondering these things and saying the only way to truly be successful, not in a worldly way, but to be successful in a very biblical, um, bigger-than-this-world kind of way, one of those things is we have to – activate our faith we have to have purpose and meaning and direction uh, that's not going to happen by watching church right. by by sitting on the sidelines and seeing it go by and so so people like Stephen and Philip and others get appointed to be um, ministers but not the teachers. Although Stephen's quite a teacher, which we'll mm-hmm. find as we turn the page and get toward the end of our reading for this week in Acts chapter seven, my wife said this morning, and this was a brilliant insight, she goes, "Boy, did Stephen really let him have it?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and knowing his life was on the line and that he would end up dying for this, mm-hmm. and, and yet yet he continues to just hammer them, I mean just, just go after the religious establishment who's putting him on trial and saying, "You don't scare me because." I've got something bigger. I, I, I belong to something more. I've been a part of a mission and a purpose and a church that is eternal. Uh, God's kingdom is without end. Your kingdoms don't scare me. And so, he's just very boldly in a way that I think most of us admire more than we mm-hmm. can emulate, but, but probably should be challenged to emulate more. And there's a boldness all throughout this. Every time that the apostles get persecuted or put in prison, and we're going to we're reading about that all this week and we'll continue to read about it. There's a boldness, there's a courage. Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Just because they're ridiculously uh, ignorant of how bad things are? No. It's the same thing that inspires Paul to sit on the dirt floor of a prison awaiting his execution mm-hmm. and write one of the most famous phrases in the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice with me. Again, I'll say it, he says, rejoice. Where does the love, the joy, the peace come from? It comes from being filled by the Holy Spirit. It, it comes from doing what we're reading about here, not just reading it, but living it and asking God, you want to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Ask and it'll be given to you. Mm-hmm. Open up your heart to it. Start with understanding how much God loves you and then tr- go, let that go from head to heart and let that experience inspire you to live a life where you find your identity and direction in life from being filled by the Holy Spirit instead of finding your identity and direction in life mm-hmm. from being filled with what you, the world says or what you say. You are. Um, I'm concerned about the direction of the world these days because so much of it is self-identification, self-direction, self-assessment, self-control. It's all about me. Uh, It's all about God. It's not about us. Uh, It is about God and it's about the God who calls us to this wild, radical, countercultural Christian life, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I wish we could say more, but I see by the clock our time really is up. So, Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, Murph. Thank, thank you, Scott. You. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you to all of you who tune in so faithfully and spread the word. This podcast is growing, and that is a that's a that's a God thing completely. But it's also you sharing it. So thanks for getting the word out. We'll see you at worship this weekend at any of our campuses: Ankeny, Grimes, West Des Moines, all the other campuses and local sites. Or tune in online, or find a local church near you. Um, God loves you. Uh, we love you. But but. That love of God, that's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Live your life that way, and you'll find the beauty.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.